0: I hope we got the introduction music right, the entrance music, because that has a special meaning to our guest today. Uh, Welcome to the Man on Second podcast, part of Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Frasero with our co-host and producer, Dave D'Agostino. And as always, our mission on the channel is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience We plan to do so today with our special guest, former MLB pitcher and now podcaster, Steve Ciszek. And I believe that was one of Steve's entrance songs. We hope we got that right for Steve. We'll know in a second. But before we bring Steve in, let's bring in Dave with some announcements.
1: Yeah, I'll keep the preamble real short because we want to get to Steve here. But uh, just want to thank our 50,000 plus subscribers, Grassroots, MLB front offices, 74 countries now. We appreciate the support you've given us because of your support. We are now the latest podcast stream on iHeartRadio, so thanks for pushing us there. Make sure after the show you go and give Joe five stars, whatever your medium is you listen to, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. We're trying to push a lot of people to iHeart because we're battling the analytics of the podcast world just like we do in baseball. Give Joe five stars. Write some nice comments under there for him. All that stuff makes a big difference. Also, at the end of the week, we're coming up to it, we will have all of our business affiliates, so all the people that you've pushed on to me, of products that you buy in the sporting world that cost you tens of thousands of dollars a year. We've worked out deals with these particular businesses. They're going to give you discounts using our code. It'll allow you to to, to save a little money throughout the year, especially with Christmas time coming up, and will allow us to reward some of our podcast hosts like Joe for doing such a great job. And help us out again. We'll keep being able to bring you this great content like we do every week, like here on Man on Second.
0: Uh, appreciate it Dave and always exciting to catch up with Steve Sechek uh Steve had 13 year MLB career 2010 to 22 uh pitched for the Marlins Cubs Cardinals Mariners Rays White Sox Angels Nationals hope I didn't miss anyone uh Steve welcome to the show my friend
2: Hey thanks for having me on guys it's always a pleasure
0: Yeah uh yeah do we nail it on the intro music your is that your yeah. entrance uh, Yeah, you guys are really close. So there's that
2: song, but it was like a remake or remix where it was like a rock background. And so they they combined like two different songs together. So it was those lyrics with like a um, like
0: heavy metal style like background to it. So it was good. Okay, well, we want to kind of give you the proper entrance. Uh, Dave will work on that (laughs) for Steve for when next time we get him on the show. But uh,
1: I'm going to find it before the end of the show. Yeah, I got
2: to criticize you guys on something because you guys do a good job on here. So there we go.
0: There we go. Hey, we're we're trying. We're trying. (laughs) Uh, But Steve, catch people up. Podcaster now. Welcome to the dark side, my friend.
2: Yeah, it's been fun. Um, You know, Kent, my uh, my buddy Kent, um, call him Salt. Brandon Kinsler, he, uh, asked me if I, you know, Hey, we should do a podcast one of these days. And I, I was unsure at first, but you know, we had some good banter in the locker room and we always enjoy talking baseball. So I'm like, you know, it could be fun. You know, we have Tuesday afternoons open, so might as well give it a shot. So we've had some guests on and it's, and it's been a good time just trying to share what we learned through our playing careers with the younger generation.
0: Great. Great. That, that podcast called call to the pen, uh, Follow that. We'll uh Steve uh, will get one more chance at the end of the show to tell people how to how to follow that. But as we dive into this, Steve, obviously, um, you know, baseball with the expanded playoffs, you were you were, you know, part of the the PA during that negotiations when this expanded six uh, teams in each league. Uh, how do you kind of see it playing out? How what's your kind of thoughts as you see the, it getting down to the wire and and a lot of jockeying for positioning in the last four or five days of the season?
2: Yeah, it's funny. I was actually looking at uh, the wild card race this morning because it's it's so close, especially on the you know National League side. You know, Cincinnati's a game and a half out. They don't look like they're going to make it in. But you got teams making into the playoffs. You know, sitting right now currently at like 82 wins. I'm like, man, what I would have given to be one of those teams in like 2016 when I was with the Mariners. <laughs> we would have easily made it in. Uh, we were one game out of the you know the original format. So um, you know, I think it was like 87 wins. So it was tough. And, uh, man, I, I think it's great. It's great for the sport. And I realized, too, after looking at those records, uh, you know, wins are a little bit down because, you know, the the scheduling's different. So I feel like it's a more fair schedule. So I think it all plays in.
0: That's interesting because, yeah, last time the Marlins, and congrats to the Marlins, they won their 82nd game, which it means in the 162 season they've guaranteed at least, you know, a winning record for the first time since 2009. And as mm-hmm. you know, I've been with the Marlins forever. And, but that 2009 team won like 87 games, and Freddy Gonzalez almost got fired for that, and they finished in second place. And, and now the Marlins may get in with 83, 84 wins. Um, and I just kind of think, Steve, you know, like I think you hit on something. And granted, we're, we're evolving, but I can't help but think of all the years I was covering how the Marlins were and, and the fire sales and the trades they made. But if they had this expanded format, they, you know, you might not have been traded back in what fourteen or fifteen whenever the Marlins moved you
2: yeah, that's a good point. I never really <laughs> thought of it that way of course i got when I got traded, I got traded to a contender, which was really cool um, you know back then, I was bummed to leave, but it was almost like once I got over to the the Cardinals I was like oh wow like we're in first place we ended up winning the division that year so having that experience was was really cool but you know obviously my heart wanted to do it with the Marlins so that was our goal and unfortunately we just fell short you know pretty much every year so 14 was our closest year you know we got Stan got hit in the face that really put a damper on things but even then it would have been a it would have been quite the push if we were able to sneak into the playoffs
0: yeah but I think also the way you build your roster and your thought process you may have Done a few extra moves at the deadline, knowing that you had these. You know that's why I kind of laugh, like at the at the Padres and the Mets specifically this year. And I get that the trades they made, but they probably shouldn't have subtracted <laughs> if they would have kind of held it together. They might have won just enough. Now I think that it's a watered down type of product right now, but I think those teams would have stayed in it a, a lot a lot longer if they didn't punt at the at the deadline.
2: Yeah, especially the Padres. I mean, they were eight and two in their last ten games. You know, they've been on fire for the last two weeks. So it's kind of disappointing to see that. But it also plays in. Hey, if you don't if you don't like it, you got to play better earlier in the season with that lineup they had and the pitching staff. I thought they were going to be, you know, a contender for that division, and they kind of just you know flopped a little bit. But. You're right. If they were to just added a couple more pieces, they would have easily been in the playoffs at this point, especially starting pitching and one starting pitcher and one reliever was probably all it would have t- taken.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What um, obviously, I, you know, for for the Marlins, if I think the Marlins and, and the Diamondbacks are going to be the two teams that get in in the NL. Basically, we're, we're recording this on Thursday. If the Diamondbacks beat the White Sox and the Cubs lose to the Braves, the Diamondbacks are in. And then it comes down to pretty much the Cubs and the and the Marlins wrestling, and the Marlins with three games to go, you know, after today, you know, wrestling with the Marlins holding the tiebreaker. So I think the the odds are of of Arizona and Chicago, excuse me, and and, and Miami getting in. And what is and You know, you live in South Florida. You you came up with the Marlins, obviously, a lot of lean years, and you know, something to cheer about this year. So we got to give the Marlins a lot of credit for you know bouncing back from 93 losses a year ago to to putting themselves in this position kind of your thoughts on them this year
2: yeah absolutely i mean they're they're fun to watch i mean they're they're the team that you know i got drafted by originally the florida marlins obviously so i'm invested in following them and you know rooting for them um you know even though i got traded and i was bummed about it like you know there's no hard feelings there but no it's it's awesome seeing them you know, in the hunt, you know, tied for that last wild card spot with the Cubs, another team I played for. So it's like, oh, ah, yeah, who do you root for? <laughs> um, but for me, it's you know, I've had a lot of friends come through the Marlins systems and stuff like that. So you always want to see a local team do well. So, um, like I said, I'm I'm invested in them this year. Just trying to see how they're doing, and obviously they got a good product in the field. And like you said, their bounce back seasons are always fun to to witness. And having watched actually my co-host Kinsler helped them get into the playoffs in 2020. You know, that yeah. was exciting for me. And so I'll be excited if they get in again this year.
0: Yeah, yeah. My my concern with them is they invested so much to get in this position to get in. It's almost like and I get it, if you get in, like anything can happen. But mm-hmm. but you're you're down Sandy, you're down Yuri. Uh your your pitching is kind of, you know, evaporating. arises ankle might be broken. Uh is playing with no oblique. you know, it's you got a lot you know, to get there, the collateral damage. But I guess you take your chances, even with a depleted roster. I guess you thoughts you do,
2: but you also see what your team is made of for the years going forward. I mean, yeah, those, some of those add-ons aren't going to be here next year, probably. But you, the core of your team is going to come back, and and for the guys that have stepped up in place of the you know the ones they've lost, like that's huge for an organization. I feel like I feel like that's a huge confidence boost. Like, yeah, we didn't even have our best guys out there, and yet here we are. In the hunt for a playoff spot and potentially getting in. Like that's a for an organization, it's gonna be a massive confidence boost. Dave,
0: you want to jump in?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's a it it should make front offices take a look at how rosters are constructed because you mentioned the Padres. I think maybe they should have spent a little bit more money. Uh <laughs> the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox. That's the first time either the Yankees or the Red Sox haven't been in the playoffs in 30 years. Um, so you take big spending teams like that. And now you look at the Marlins who have a shot to get in. Um, What what does that say to front offices about how rosters need to be constructed? Uh, You're on the, you know, you're in the podcast world now. You're seeing it from a 10,000 foot view, but you were in the trenches there and you, you saw, you felt it. Um, What what do you think that message is being sent out there to those front offices?
2: Yeah. So I'm just going back to say when I was in the trenches, our best season, like I said, was 2014 and we weren't the most talented team really. In my opinion, we—I think we played better than the you know the roster we had because we were a really tight knit group in that locker room. I've, the locker room presence in there was incredible. Between Jeff Mathis, um, and Casey McGee, you know, we had these awesome guys. Reed Johnson. We had good veteran leadership to complement the young guys on the team, and so you know, I wonder with the team. Like I don't know the Marlins clubhouse that well, but just speaking from experience and talking to other guys, the teams that were most successful always had a good veteran presence and it was really apparent to me when I was with the Cardinals in that 2015 year seeing Molina and Wainwright you know step up after like losing two bad games no we're holding a locker room meeting and like calling like calling the arms all the guys and rallying the troops again and getting back on the same page like I think it goes without saying that yeah, you have you can have all the talent on the field you want, but unless you have a good veteran presence, and good leadership on that team, a team can only go so far.
1: Yeah, I agree. I got one follow-up on that, Joe, and then I'll turn it back to you. This is a little bit of a sarcastic question. I'll preset it. What <laughs> analytic formula determines the camaraderie and the team leadership of, or veteran leadership? Is there an analytic formula that goes along with
2: that? <laughs> there certainly isn't. Okay. But I guess that's up to the GM's job to do their vetting, right? Right. Because look, I've yep. I've been on teams where we had great camaraderie and it just didn't play out. But I've also been on teams with you know some pretty good talent and we were just not. It was just not it. Um, a lot of the t- 2012 Marlins. I mean, look at that team. We had phenomenal uh, talent on that team and we just we just flopped big time. And it's it's not that we didn't have good leadership. It just wasn't as tight of a locker room. There was a lot of things going on that year uh, behind the scenes. So. I've just kind of seen it all at that point, and um, and just talking with successful guys, they're all been part of teams, like I said, with solid locker room dynamics. So,
0: no, that's a that's a great point, uh, uh, Dave. Do you have a follow? Because I want to.
1: No, no, to sorry, good... that was perfect, Steve. No,
0: no, it's 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 a really good point because I think you're you're seeing it. This Marlins team, okay, yes, they traded for Sandy, uh, but Sandy came. You know, young as part of a rebuild. You know, the, the, those kind of core people that kind of took their lumps and, and they and they kind of grew together. Arizona, a team I follow closely. Steve, you, you met my son. You know, he he works. He's a scout with the Diamondbacks. But their core is what a young Corbin Carroll, who's going to be a runaway Rookie of the Year and probably should be a top five MVP candidate as well uh, with with twenty five forty season um, or fifty season now with steals. And then you got. You know the, the young players that they have around them with, uh, you know, with Cattell Marte and 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 um, you know some of those good young players that the Diamondbacks have, but it's mostly homegrown. And even if guys came in in trades, like Gallon came over from the Cardinals to the Marlins and then over there, but he was very young. So and they took their lumps. They lost 110 games in in 2021, but they're mm-hmm. a team that bonded better than the piece together high pro, uh, high. Payroll team like the Padres, so I think you you you're really hitting on something. That yes, you know now what are you hearing? The Mets are going to do? They're going to go get, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Juan Soto, you know, and and that's going to be a three to four hundred million dollar player. And you know, I you know, you were teammates with Juan at one point. So what do you, you know, it's like how do you find the the mesh to make that that locker room come together and play as one and have the fitting parts? I like to call it.
2: Uh, yeah, I guess there's no perfect formula. I, I'll just say this: so you're talking about guys that have taken their lumps. Um, you know, I know, just again from experience, I guess, when you're on a team where year after year you're getting smoked, um, and it's disappointing. You love the you love the game, you love your teammates, but you know, at the end of the day, you want to win, right? And then all of a sudden, you get a taste of you know having success as a team like you just get more and more hungry like going into that 15 season we were starving to like make a playoff like I was dying to help the team win and it was super disappointing when it didn't work out but so when I put myself in those guys shoes I don't know like a gallon they've taken their lumps over the year and he's had good success like man he's hungry for a playoffs you know what I'm saying the guys around him that have taken their lumps that are good players They're hungry. Now they have the experience. Now they know how to handle adversity. Now they know how to put together. They have this feeling like, all right, you put together or put some pieces around us, we're going to do something special. And I think that's what you're kind of seeing with some of these teams.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's fun to watch it come together. And, you know, that's what I look for too. You know, I'm sure a team like Arizona, a team like Miami, like you say, they both get in, let's say this year. And even if they don't go far, the, the seeds are there for a very bright 24 season and, mm-hmm. and beyond. And now all of a sudden your front office is a little more invested. You, you sh- you've energized your fan base and which hopefully turns into season tickets and, and more revenue. And, and you, you kind of, you kind of build what you're, you're saying, uh, you know, so, so I guess, you know, bottom line, baseball got what it, what it wanted, I guess, with the, with the expanded, because there's more interest now with at least four or five other teams with a a week to go, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, in terms of when you were talking earlier about, like, what's the formula, like, when you have – I mean, the Braves have done it well. They're pretty pretty secure for a while. They have guys that obviously know how to win. The Astros are like that for some years now. You know, when you have a team, let's say, like the Cubs, who won a World Series in 16 – and had you know two or three years after that where they were good, but you could kind of see the fire kind of dwindling. They just hit the reset button, right? They just kind of shipped all their guys out and kind of started fresh. And here they are already in a playoff push again. They it's like they kind of they kind of saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, nope, oh, we're gonna we're gonna refresh and then get after it again. And here they're at. And so, like you were saying earlier, if they let's say the Cubs just barely miss out, well, now next year they know what they got to do to put together a winning product and they're in a division that they can do it, <clears throat> excuse me, do it as well. Um, so, you know, I don't, I guess I don't know where I was going with this other than the fact <laughs> that like teams like that are what I'm looking forward to see how they're going to do next year.
0: Yeah. Steve, let's, let's shift gears a little bit because we had a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of controversy uh, in New York the other day with, with the field conditions uh, the Marlins Mets had to play a doubleheader header on, on, uh, what was yesterday? Wednesday. Uh, because of, you know, an inoperable field, even though it didn't rain. Uh, Marlins weathered that. They got the split to put themselves still in a pretty good spot. Uh, the Mets owner, Stephen Cohen, even sent an apology to the Marlins and their fans for wanting the field to be better off. You, you've you pitched in the dome or the roof here in Miami and in, in Tampa and Seattle, I guess, too. Uh, and you've pitched in places where it rains a lot. Talk about that and the conditions and and was that handled properly by the Mets? I guess, you know, you can't help a tropical front, but even does a, does a tarp save the day? I'm not even sure that does either. Um, I mean, look,
2: both sides have the same playing field. Am I wrong? Like, yeah, you're still, you're still, it's unfortunate because you got to play the game and, I see comments on Instagram like, oh, well, baseball players can't play in the rain. I'm like, no, actually you really can't. You try throwing a soaking wet baseball uh, with a mound where you have no footing and tell me if you can throw a strike, you know, at 95 plus. I mean, I didn't throw that hard, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really difficult to do. Not to mention you're putting players at risk for injury, but I mean, at the end of the day, if the game is on, you got to find a way to win. Both players are, or both teams are playing in the same condition. So um, I'm a big no excuses guy. <laughs> I've, I've made plenty of excuses in my career that I'd have to bite my lip and take it back. Um, you know, in my head anyways, I don't say it out loud. But um, I'm, yeah, there's just, just no excuse. You just got to go after, get after it and, and win a ball game.
0: No, I hear you. And that, that comes back in, in 2003 when I was covering the Marlins. That was my second year on the beat. And seeing all that that team had to go through and, and, you know, meeting Jack McKeon, who is so much of my foundation of of how I kind of see the game, and just the way Jack approached that, and, you know, you just knew it it was, yes, it's physically taxing, it's mentally taxing. Uh, from a reporter side too obviously to to get up every day and and have to bring it and because more eyeballs are on your stories as well, but you know you guys as the players going out there and doing it and performing and no days off, and you know that that's what it's about though it's mm-hmm. about it's about it's it, first of all if it was supposed to be easy, the Cubs would have a bunch of World Series and they wouldn't have had to wait all those you know <laughs> a, a century to get between titles. It should be hard, right? And you should have to overcome obstacles because that's what makes it so rewarding when you achieve it, right?
2: Exactly. And if I have any gripe about the new playoff format, um, that's probably it because now you're having teams that are having nice years but not like playoff-worthy years, make it in. Um, You know, it's it's still – oh, man, if I was still on the – let's say the Marlins win, I was still on the team, I'd still be fired up and celebrating. I think, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, um, you know – if I were on those teams earlier in my career that made the playoffs, like the Cardinals, that, that was, that was like, wow, like that's, that's an incredible season. You had to win 90 you know plus games to get in. So anyways.
0: No, I hear you. Uh, I want to change gears a little bit to, to the actual, you know, I wanted your perspective as a reliever and you see, this is a time of year where relievers are really pushed and we've already had in the last couple of days, uh, some examples of uh, relievers, uh, you know, showing either signs of fatigue or saying it, uh, we had the Josh Hader situation. I don't, you know, I'm not, normally I'm take the ball a guy, but when your elimination number is one and you're asking the guy to get a four out save with, you know, six games to go and you're mathematically have like 1% to get in and you're asking a guy to do something he hadn't really done all year to save the season. And and I know Josh Hader made the comments that probably the fans and probably people on my channel wouldn't agree with, but I, I kind of give him a pass only because, you're asking him to do some put himself a little bit more at risk when it was going to take more than a miracle and more than winning that game to save his season. But it's a bad look to not take the ball. Well, honestly, I, I
2: didn't see that. What did what did Hader say?
0: Josh said they they lost a game to the to the Giants, I believe, it was about two or three days ago. And they wanted they wanted hater to come in and get it like the last out in the eighth and then try to get three outs in the ninth. And it and it didn't work out, and they blew the game, I think, in the eighth. And post postgame was like, Look, I haven't really gone one plus, and you're asking me now basically to save the season. <laughs> you know, and yeah, you know, normally I would be take the ball, but I, I kind of see where he's coming from. You know, if he wasn't ready to go four outs, I wasn't, you know, why are you asking him to do something to save the season now? When you had so many opportunities to save the season before,
2: so let me ask you this, Joe: Who would, who else would they have gone to in that situation? Do you know what I'm saying? That their bullpen yeah. is not looking too strong this year, and that might be an Achilles' heel for them. So when you have your best pitcher who's able to do it, or should be able to do it, I'm, I'm, if I'm the manager, I'm running him out there. If I'm Bob Melvin, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, you're a competitor. You want to get it, get those outs for your team. I'm kind of blown away by that statement, personally.
0: Yeah. Well, should he, should that have been discussed then before? So it's not a post game type thing or something? That yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but That's uh, what I'm getting at. I, I could kind of see haters point only. And I get it. I, like I said, normally I would be in your corner, like take the ball and, and I want the ball in that time because I know plenty of people that would take it. It's just the, the circumstances, you're asking for a Hail Mary right there. And you basically need like five Hail Marys to save your season. Uh, that I kind of saw the point of view, but it, it does raise the issue of of taking the baseball. Dave, your thoughts? Yeah, I,
1: I I kind of agree with Steve. Again, having been a second baseman, a lot of times we weren't allowed in pitching decisions. Uh, rightfully so. But with with on that same note, so we we have this push in Major League Baseball. Starters are going shorter. Uh, they're they're not going long distances. Four and a third is very common. What do you think is the next push with relievers? Because a case in point like Josh Hader, if starters are going shorter, logically you would think MLB or the minor league system would be in the process of creating relievers that can go four outs or that should go four outs. Or what, what do you see as the next phase with relievers here as as the starters keep going less and less? There's more of an emphasis, obviously, on the importance of of you guys.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're going to have more guys that are going to be <sighs> – have to throw multiple innings The the thing i hope doesn't happen which has kind of been the trend for the last five or six years is you have a revolving door of guys getting um let's say they throw two plus innings early in the game started his takeout in the fourth let's say um next thing you know that guy is getting sent down no matter how good or poorly he does they're bringing up another guy um you know to fill in his spot so they got a handful of guys in the minor leagues that just is a revolving door that's been kind of the trend i feel like lately and i hate it i've hated for the guys because when you see it you could see it happening it's like oh man like this guy is shoving right now he's this poor dude's gonna get sent down sure enough here comes the grim reaper walking through the locker room like come into the office we gotta make a move It's it's part of the game it's the tough business and i hope the trend goes the other way if anything i would I wouldn't mind teams carrying one extra reliever if that were, if they're going to start doing that type of stuff just to have more continuity on the team you have a guy that deserves it he's pitching well and he's eating up innings for you guys instead of you know relegating him to the minor leagues like reward him for his hard work and taking one for the team or just getting outs for your guys like I, that's that's what I hope to see the trend going forward this guy's get more- what, get rewarded for that
1: what about your stance on um on position players taking hill. Ha- I have a remedy for that for the guys that are making those decisions. But what do you, what's your stance when you see a position player being marched out to the mound to to finish a game for a team? We've um, seen that more than ever.
2: I don't, I don't have a problem with it just for that reason I said, you know, you're saving a bullpen arm and also a lot of teams will do that depending on the situation. Um, if your bullpen has been taxed and the game's sort of out of hand, like, yeah, let a, let a position player just get three outs, whatever. Um, and it kind, it's kind of like some comic relief too. Let's say you're getting blown out, you know, the game's out of hand. Like, what are you going to do? The game's already toast, you know, and you're, you're already miserable. You're losing by that. Then you see one of your boys going out there. It has no business being on a mound getting three quick outs. Like there's some saving grace right there. Like <laughs> if you're going to enjoy anything about a loss is like one of your guys just went out there and, and shoved and he threw 46 miles an hour. Um And I think the fans kind of like it, too. But at the end of the day, it just saves bullpen arms. And that's that's what I'm about, is if guy doesn't need to be in the game, if it's out of hand, unless he needs the work, like just go ahead and let someone else take care of it. What's your remedy?
1: Well, within this, this analytics age, it's the decisions are being made, I think, by somebody upstairs more more often than not. I would say whatever analytics guy decided it was the right formula to put a position player out there, let him go throw the last three outs and see if he does it again. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I played minor league baseball and you'd have to push me onto that mount. I would do it to to save an arm without a doubt. I would do it for my, my pitchers, but that ball <laughs> gets at you to hurry, especially when you're not throwing very hard and you don't know how to locate. And and you're these guys, Oh, I, it scares the heck out of me when I see these guys lobbing it in there. And, um, I'd be backing up about thirty feet as soon as I threw it, because that's, <laughs> I, that's what I fear. I fear, I fear integrity of the game, but I also fear the uh, that guy get hurt um, out there because that yeah. that stuff gets a Hurry, but yeah, I put that guy out there. The the, up, the front office guy that made that unilateral decision and made the manager stand out in front. You go out there and throw if you want to save save arms and see <laughs> see how many times that happens again. Totally, I
2: love that. Yeah. But you know what's you know what's great about that. Um, well, let's say if the an analytics guy or a position player comes in the pitch and a guy's throwing like 50 miles an hour, I mean, do you see the swings that these guys are taking? It's like a lot of times it's just, they're, they're lost the hitters. They, they don't know what to do. Yeah. And so then it makes me, we've always talked about in the bullpen, man, if we could put in a game like this, why don't we just flip it in there? Like whatever. We know we're not going anywhere after this. Like let's save our bullets. And these guys, why do we try so hard? We just throw 46 miles an hour in there. They just get themselves out. Right, Okay.
1: Joe, I got one follow-up on that. Could Go you ahead. brought it up, Steve, with the the bullpen? Now, again, as a former second baseman, I, I often was – actually never was allowed in the bullpen. Um, what the heck goes on out there? What goes on in the bullpen? What are the conversations that happen? What are you guys talking about? What What are you doing out there?
2: Um, well, Dave, if I told you it, I'd have to kill you.
1: I know. I was just going to say, I, <laughs> I, I built up too much. For you. I knew you were going to – Well. Um. Remember, we've got a young no, audience, so be selective.
2: No, no, no. I wasn't. Yeah, it's 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 not as bad as you think. <laughs> Depends what team on you're on, I guess. Um, let's say when I was on the Cubs, the first four innings, we were we were screwing around big time. At one point, we had uh, we're watching the game, of course, but we're joking around, having a good time. And at one point, I was trying to launch a Twinkie out of a pitching machine underneath the bullpen stands, trying to hit our security guard with it. We all like to mess with Charles, our security guard. So we had a good time. But, man, once that fourth, fifth inning comes around or if the game is starting to – the starters starting to look a shady early on, everyone's face would gloss over and it's go time and we get into our routines. Um, So, yeah, early on, it's just such a long season. We just joke around. We do – we play games, um, do, like, trivia stuff. 21 questions was a big one when I was with the Nationals. Um, You know, but when it's – when the lights start to come on, you can see your opportunity coming up. Like, no, it's time to go. We get in our routine and, and get serious.
0: That's great stuff. <laughs> Steve, yes or no, did you ever or any bullpen friend of yours ever order a cheesesteak in Cincinnati, excuse me, in uh, Philadelphia early in the game?
2: No. From the bullpen. No. I've never seen no. it, but I've heard it was done. I've heard it's been done. Yeah. I've seen burgers yeah. brought down to the bullpen. Not in Philly, but other places. Okay,
0: now other places, Tim. To...
2: <laughs> well, yeah, they'll trade a kid for like a burger and fries. Like, hey, you go get me a burger and fries, and you know, I'll give you a baseball. Sure enough.
0: All right, that's that seems good. So uh, these little tricks of the trade, but obviously get there early in the game.
2: <laughs> yes, early in the game, definitely helpful. <laughs> yeah. If you're a young kid, that's your best opportunity.
0: Steve, we're hitting on something, you know, with, with bullpen usage, because I agree with you. There's, you know, right now, more than ever, with especially high velocity game and, and usage in these teams with 70, 80, 80 appearances for some of these guys. Um, what, as a, as a guy who is very durable in yourself, what's your arm feel like at this time of year? And how much are you going on, you know, physical compared to mental drive to get to where you want to go? If you're like in a playoff push and you know you have to take the ball, you know you're a little sore, but you know, how much are you pushing through? based on where your mind is telling your body they it could go where it never thought it can go.
2: Totally. It's a uh, man, it's a slippery slope, right? Like if you're feeling like not great and you're, you're kind of on the edge of pitching well and not pitching well, it's like, you know, what do I do to kind of gut through this? Um, for me, um, to make myself feel physically better. I just spent, I learned to spend a lot of time in the training room, which is something I didn't do early on in my career. Um, you know, thoughts in a training room kind of changed as I got older. And so anyways, I uh, I, I kind of lived in there. Just got my arm worked on, my shoulder uh, and my hip was a big problem towards the end of my career. Um, so I was always in there trying to make sure I was as physically prepared as I could to be able to pitch in the game. I did everything I could to be available that day. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's just out of your control. But when I did that mentally, I knew that I did everything I possibly could within my power to physically get ready for a game. Now there's no excuses. Now we got to go, you know, and this time of year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, man. Uh, I remember my first year with the Cubs, everyone made fun of me because, or made fun of Joe Madden because he put me in the games a lot, but you know, I loved it. And so, and I think Joe trusted me with that because he knew I was doing everything in my power to be able to get out there for the boys and to help the team win. And so, um, you know, when September hit though, it was like a whole nother animal. I was, started going to training room a lot more. The training staff was awesome and they kept me afloat. So that was a big confidence booster for me.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, you know, that's what I get to. I just wonder how sustainable it is. You know, I know the, the Rays are a team that relies so heavily on, on bullpen usage Were you di- used differently in Tampa than you were anywhere else in your career. Uh,
2: I no, I pitched quite a bit in Tampa. Um, that's, and uh, we again, Tampa has a really good training staff. Um, one thing I also left out was my routine. I was very routine oriented, so mm-hmm. I did like pretty much the same routine every day. Lifted at a specific lift, I would do um, two days in a row with two days off. I mean, I was so routine oriented, I was almost robotic. And so, you know, if, if I ever strayed from my routine, then you know, I knew I was doing something wrong, or I just had a day off. So. Uh, but with Tampa, it was the same thing. I just kept, I carried what I did in Tampa and stuff I did with the training staff over to the Cubs, from Tampa to the Cubs, and it, you know, it paid off.
0: Yeah. When do you, obviously, if you're used three, four, how many days in a row did you go p- pitching in a game? Was it three? Did you four? Uh, how many days in a row did you go? It was like the max.
2: My, rec- my record is four days in a row. I did that in 2018 with the Cubs, and then the last four games of the year with the Mariners in 16
0: and that's purely because they needed you it was just doing. it was a
2: playoff push yeah yeah it was I mean in the with the Mariners I became the eighth inning guy I I like to say I paved the way for Edwin Diaz (laughs) but really I had a (laughs) month where I was terrible and uh Edwin was a rookie and he was just you know he's Edwin Diaz he's unreal so I was like you're a fool for him not to be our closer so um where, where was I going to that? Oh, yeah, but I ended up pitching four days in a row to set up for him um, with the Mariners, and then same thing with the Cubs, I was just kind of staying afloat there.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I know the other day there was a in, – um, in New York, the, the Diamondbacks were playing the Yankees, and the, the conditions were terrible, and, and Kevin Ginkle threw, like, the eighth inning in in a kind of a lopsided uh, Diamondback win. It was very sloppy – uh, the winds were ridiculous because that tropical storm was going through, but it was still a very hard inning for him. It was oh. like thirty-something pitches. And then the next day they run him back out there with a one-run lead in the eighth. And oh. again a high stressful inning. And he gives it up and the Yankees rally and win the game. Um and post game it was like the quotes from Tori Lavello was was they asked about going back to Ginkle. And and Lavello's quotes were, oh, he was strong, you know, he was you know, it's the process I like. He's been my eighth inning guy. I wanted to stick with them and stay in that routine. And then quote was uh, to the extent, uh, obviously, I'll take the ball. I was a, a little sore, you know, obviously. Uh, it was like could, it, the, the quotes didn't match up. And yeah. so my point, I started thinking, and I'd say, you know, if I talk to a reliever and I have you on, at, at what point do you communicate? Do you say you want the ball, but – do you tell the pitching coach because you don't really want to tell the man? Is that predetermined? Like, hey, if you could avoid using, you know, using me, if you absolutely need me, call down in the seventh inning if I feel strong because the player's inclination is to take the ball, but mm-hmm. you know, you, yeah. you create those type of situations. So, where's that? How do you? How would you go about doing that?
2: Uh, if I'm the coach, pitching coach, like I'm taking the ball away from the pitcher. There's there's no other way. I I have only I know a handful of guys that would say no, I can't go. You know what I mean? Like it's tough. But however, if I'm the pitching coach, I, I who knows if they had a conversation pre-game. But like, um, you, those are conversations you do have to have with your guys. So he threw 28 pitches on Sunday, and then you ran him back out there Monday for 30. Is what I'm seeing. And that, that is really taxing on a reliever. Like that's really difficult to do. And so. I feel like Lavello or, um, has to go over there and be like, hey, like, what's going on? How's your arm feel? And if he's saying, I look, you know, he looks confident, like I'm good to go, then yeah, sure, run him out there. It's a playoff race, of course. But if there's any hesitation, be like, no, look, I'm going to give you a day. He threw 28 pitches, dude. Like, that's a lot for one day. Um, that happened with me, actually, with the Cubs. I had a little elbow thing going on. I was throwing a lot, and Madden sat me down and – We had a great conversation. He's like, hey, I don't want to hurt you. Like, are you you sure you're good to go? I'm like, look, I would tell you if I can't. You're like, your guys are on it. We're good. Like, just fire me out there. I don't care. Like, I want to pitch. He's like, all right. (laughs) So that was it. Like, he was awesome about that stuff. So,
0: yeah, I I agree. Cause it, you put the guy in that that game, Steve, there was a ball that Aaron Judge hit. It was basically a routine fly ball to the right fielder who was uh, Jake McCarthy, who's standing there at traditional right field. And the wind got that ball, blew it about 50 feet. McCarthy, who runs really well, has to fly over, and it drops for like a double. And I think that was in that game that Ginkle had the, the 28. You know, so it was a complete – it was – you know, because you pitched in, in poor weather. It was one of those yeah. things where if you didn't strike the go, the guy out, you had no idea if you would get an out. Because any ah. ball in play was a real adventure. Uh, so I think it – the couple with that, how do you – you know, when you're pitching on – those type of fields you know I'm sure like you said earlier about a soggy condition, what that does to the to the body as well
2: yeah it it's tough man and it's it's such a like a <laughs> make or break game too because if you get out of a game when the conditions are that you're on like cloud nine right you're like, man, I did it you know it's almost like a comical, but man when you if you get lit up or you give it up in a game like that, you get so much more frustrated. Because you your flesh wants to just make excuses all the time. But at the end of the day, you were put out there. You had to get a job done. It just didn't work out. So what do you do with that? You know, And so you just have to find a way to flush those games as quick as you can.
0: Yeah. Dave, your thoughts?
1: Well, for, first, I didn't bring it up before, Joe, but those scouts with Arizona need to get a raise. I watched them the other night. <laughs> They're very good. I like them. <laughs> and uh, Steve, you've got a lot of great insight from a lot of different perspectives. Um I know your former college coach pretty well. My son does some catching work with him. How did your journey at the, an unconventional route and, and this school does send some players to the next level, but how did your journey at Carson Newman with Tom Griffin, how did that prepare you for your, your big league journey? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so
2: my time at Carson Newman helped give me an edge that I didn't really have before. Um, we, uh, they run a pretty tight ship over there. Griff Griff is tough, but in a good way. Like he wants he's really good at drawing out the best of uh his players' abilities. You know, taking like an average guy and making him, you know, definitely above average. Like finding uh what makes that guy tick and then pushing them to to perform better. It's it's pretty impressive what they do over there. Um and that's what I learned. Like I came in there, uh Dave throwing like eighty-two to maybe eighty-four tops as a freshman. In my first game ever, you know, pumped 92 out of nowhere. And I was so underdeveloped. I had no idea what work ethic was. And then that one, let's call it off season of training and running, lifting, getting pushed to the max, just to a point where I thought I was going to throw up on myself a couple of times. Like it was probably the best thing that ever happened for me. And so it, it made me understand that. Like camaraderie when you're tired, guys are pulling for each other. But at the end of the day, there's, you always have a little bit more in the tank that you can give, and that helped give me an edge that I kind of carried with throughout my career.
1: Yeah, I I love Griff. Uh, full disclosure, my son does some work up there, and I'm old-fashioned Italian. I I, I like to shake hands, look people in the eye. Uh, he does that with every single kid, young or player. We sent it. We recommended a kid to him this past year, Wade Carruthers, who's in his first fall season there. Wade winning as a shortstop, six uh, two. Already, you can see uh, he's converted from shortstop to center field. The first inner squad game, their first competition, he had a double to right center. You could see him moving the ball away where he was more of a pull hitter coming, you could, and you could see the speed develop. And now he's running around center field where he was a shortstop. So we've seen it in a number of different facets. The one thing that I have not been answered—it's it's perplexing, as perplexing as my bullpen question. Does he? Does Griff ever take the shin guards off?
2: <laughs> i'm not sure i've seen those shins haven't seen the sunlight in quite some time i'll say that we're at a golf tournament it's like the the fundraiser for the baseball team and he had his shin guards on playing there
1: yeah he, he i Joe, <laughs> and his, he's a catcher he does catch they have all these different catch. tremendous tremendous catching guy I recommend him to anybody out there mm-hmm. um i was with him for you know on a couple different occasions and you're talking 72 hours i mean through meals through Never saw him take the shins off. And, uh, you know, I, I never asked anybody. I didn't make eye contact with him. I didn't even ask the players or assistants in fear of there was that, you know, kind of like, hey, we're not supposed to talk about that. <laughs> I figured I'd ask you. It's safe now. Your eligibility's up. You've got your own podcast. You've got a little bit of. Audience. But yeah, I, and I, I admire that. He always has him on. Yeah, although now my son wears them around the house all the time, which I can't get him to take them off. So
2: (laughs) it smells like a hockey locker room in there with the sweat pads. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Six months ago I did. It's worse now. (laughs) That's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Uh, Hey, we're going to ask Steve this because every guest now I'm going to have to ask about. Uh, We're going to completely go off the rails with this interview, Steve. Thoughts on Deion Sanders and what he's doing at Colorado because we've had good discussions about him in recent weeks on this podcast. So what's your thoughts on primetime?
2: I mean, I love it. I think it's awesome and what they're doing over there. My, my fear was that they're hyping him up way too much. Uh, and then that one game where he has a flop, it's just going to look that much worse. And sure enough, Oregon came in and stomped him bad. And but at the same, at the, but he's a genius, right? Because like at the end of the day, he's getting all this exposure. What kid wouldn't want to go play for him at this point? So next year is going to be interesting. The years to come, I should say.
0: Well, I think he flipped it too because I think everyone. We had Kozar, Jared Kozar, on last week, and he was waiting for that too. And he was taking Glee and Prime getting put cut down the size. So what does Prime do in his post game press conference? He's brilliant. He wears it. He takes it. Mm-hmm. He says good old-fashioned butt kicking and uh no excuses, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, you know, kind of throws Dan uh, Lanning, uh, Dave Lanning, whatever the coach at Oregon's name is, throws him a little bit like, yeah, go gloat, gloat, you know? And he says, Everyone wants to beat me, they don't want to beat my team, and he just kind of flips it and makes you even more interested in what they're gonna do next. You know, yeah. just no. everything about him, he's just playing it like a like a master right now.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, it, put it. Let's put that in a baseball sense, right? You got a guy who bat flips the bat to the moon, and then you got a dude that strikes out that same guy and starts screaming at him, kind of like the nearest situation yesterday. It's like it's almost like the same thing. If you're gonna hit a home run, like all right, the guy got you. Just just wear it, you know. No excuses, you know. And vice versa for pitchers. You strike a guy out, if he's excited. Like all right, you're a hitter. He struck you out. Swear it. You're gonna get him again. So Prime will Prime will have his revenge.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And that's what makes you you wait for the next one. Uh oh, on that topic, what'd you think? you see that Braves Cubs last night when when Acuna basically stopped the game for himself for his uh 40, 70 uh when he stole his seventieth base in extra innings? You see that?
2: Oh, he stopped the game for himself? I he saw the highlights the game, of that. He and, like, grabbed like,
0: the base. and and like, oh. you see Boog Shambi, and you know <laughs> we all know Boog. It was like all livid. Like, what's going on? And it, it froze the game. And then Albies yeah. like after about this two or three minute celebration, uh, Albies wins the game. It, it was just – as a reliever, how do you kind of deal with that? Because this is like – you're this is a high-stakes game for the Cubs. They, they already yep. blow the lead. They're, they're trying not to lose. And, and Acuna is picking up the base and celebrating himself. For his, I seven mean, I, to
2: the it's quite the it – is, it is quite the milestone. So it's like I'm kind of on the fence with that one. I don't know. Dave, what do you – how do you feel about that? Between the bat flipping and then also – Taking your own base, you're you're a second base, you're um, a position
1: player. Yeah. So the bat flipping thing, I I never hit the ball far enough to warrant flipping a bat, so I can't really relate to that. I was a, a one of those ground ball CNI ground ball guys. I was a negative launch angle. Um, I switch bats, so I I can't. I don't think I could bat flip righty or lefty. Um, I, I'm not big on the bat flip. I, I get it. I like it when it's natural. You know, when the celebrate. I don't yeah. like when they're pre-rated. Um, I'm a little old fashioned, as I I, I kind of revealed. I. I don't like uh showing up a pitcher no matter how they take it like hey it's part of the game I just it's one of those things I just like hey you know what I got to hit I'm supposed to do that get the first base try to get the second as far as the taking the base um I I've gotten flash of like Ricky Henderson doing it stealing third and lifting it over Oh overstay. yeah nice I'm the greatest of all time but I, you know Acuña's exciting I don't know why people were surprised if they were surprised at that because he's He's a live wire and he did, you know, something special. But yeah, I don't know if I do. I mean, I don't even know. If, did Pete Rose even get a two-minute celebration when he broke Tye Cop's record?
0: <laughs> and and I, I watched him. that. I hardly remember. He just said first, I remember I was, like kept tipping his cap or helmet and that was about it. <laughs> it was like-
1: yeah, so I don't know. I, I, uh, I would have thought, again, you've got all these people around organizations now that that would have been predetermined. You know, like, hey, mm-hmm. Acuna's got a shot to break it when he does. Let the other team know, hey, we're going to stop the game for, you know, two minutes and give him the base, that type of stuff. Usually that stuff is, is predetermined beforehand, but apparently he took it into his own hands. This is and- the
0: 10th inning Dave. This is the thing. It was was like you're true. not really thinking that way. But Somebody it ended first- up being a huge deal because it, the next batter, Albies gets to hit and he scores, you know, from second. So do they uh, play today? Yeah, they play today. Yeah. Probably hit him his know. first time. I don't know. They get comes better win. <laughs> they
1: yeah, I don't think they have that the right freedom. Right
0: another base. Yeah, this might be for another year. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know, though. If I'm pitching, I'm like, dude, that's what are you going to do? I mean, he, he swiped second. Yeah. I knew he was going to swipe second. It's like, have, have, it, have your moment, whatever. It's no one's ever, you know, it's incredible what you just did. So, but then it's like, all right, now I'm going to try to strike Albies out. Like, <laughs> we're right back to business. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, but how would your, you feel? Yeah. Like, did, did you have moments like that, Steve, where you're on base, excuse me, on the mound when when somebody did something and you had to pause the game and your, your adrenaline's to get the next batter and you got to kind of wait a, mo- a couple of minutes? Did you have any moments like that?
2: No, nothing I can think of. I'm, I was trying to think about that. It's like between that and guys running on the field that you have to get tackled or something. No, that's more annoying to me. Um, I don't think I ever experienced that one, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, like yeah, no one's five hundredth hit or give five hundredth homer or whatever. It's like yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I had a I had a I think Mickey was hitting for his um, it might have been his oh, I forget Mickey was reaching a milestone when I was with the Angels. I can't remember what it was, and I ended up walking him on four pitches, not intentionally. It was a one run game, and like I wasn't going to give in to him with two outs and a base open. So I was I was picking a little bit but the fans obviously wanted me to groove him a fastball so he could try to take me deep. And they were pretty close. And even Miggy running down the first, like that was a strike. He's yelling at me laughing and the fans (laughs) are booing me off the field at that point. And uh, that was the closest I'd come to a
0: milestone, I guess. (laughs) That's pretty funny. funny. (laughs) Dave, any last things? Uh, Steve's been gracious enough to give us his time.
1: No, I mean, just, just let us know how we can support what you're doing. I'm so glad that former major leaguers like yourself are on the airwaves now and and get messages out there to kids. What are you hoping to accomplish by the podcast in addition to kind of messaging stuff to kids?
2: Yeah, so part of the podcast is like locker room banter, what teams are doing. Like we talk about some certain at-bats and stuff. But most of all, when we have guests on, um, if it's a former player or a current player, we want to know what makes them tick and how they deal with failure because the guys that can deal with failure and, get, and what motivates these guys – um, or what keeps them around in the big leagues for the longest time? So I would love for young guys to be able to get a jump start on what makes a major league baseball player tick. You know, it's successful. On. One. So that's what we try to do: see what you know makes them tick and how they handle adversity and, and go
1: about their business. Well, you're going to have to answer that question for us now. How do you handle adversity? How do you handle mistakes?
2: Yeah, I try to have a short term memory. I um, uh, always trusted in uh, the Lord, who's um, my Savior, and. Uh, that was huge for my career. It took a lot of pressure off me. I uh, always carried scripture in my back pocket that kept me in line. Um, and then with that, I was, like I said earlier, I was super routine oriented. If I failed or succeeded, I wanted to see what I did on the computer, um, what I could adjust game to game if I had to that day. Um, and uh, just go out there and have, realize I had another opportunity the next day as a reliever. So you fail, guess what? You're probably getting thrown back out there again tomorrow. So you better get over it. Is my mentality. I like it. Yeah, that's
0: you know what that I learned early on in my in my coverage with Jeff Torborg and Jack McKeon. They were the first two managers I covered, and and they were made a real point. he trusted that reliever and he gave it up, he wanted so badly the next day to get that reliever back out there to get that taste in their mouth of getting it right and getting the job done. And um, you know, I know a lot of fans sometimes are like, "No, get him out. They don't let him do it." You know, but. To, to what that means to a player. How important is that Steve to get right back out there and then get success to kind of wash the bad, the bad game out of your, out of your mind.
2: Oh, it's awesome. And I go back to uh, Madden on this one. There's for, this is a good example, right? Uh, We're playing Philly. We're up by three. I get put in the game. And of course I can't remember the dude's name. He was on fire, big right-handed hitter. This is 2018. And he took me deep for a three run bomb. I hung a slider and that, ate me alive. Uh, we ended up coming back. Jay hit a homer to win the game, walk off. I'm pretty sure it was off Morgan. The next day we have a day game and uh similar situation, just uh, one runner on. I think same hitter comes up with two outs and, and I'm foaming at the mouth. Like I want, I want back in. I want to, I want to revenge on this guy. And Madden put me right back in the game the next day. And I struck him out on three, two pitch. And so that for me, it was like a huge confidence booster that my manager trusts me enough to put me in a similar situation to get some uh, redemption on this guy and, and uh, move forward.
0: I think that's a good, good ending spot, you know, good message out there too. And just as, as our fans and our followers should know, it's a game of failure, a game of adjustment, and then ultimately could be a game of triumph. And as Steve just noted, as an example, uh, Steve check thanks so much, buddy. Uh, check out his podcast, Call to the Pen. Steve check and Brandon Kinsler are killing it on that platform. Where are we getting that, uh, Steve? Uh, how can they find you? Is that pretty much on uh, on X now, or formerly Twitter? Where can people find? <laughs> you?
2: Yeah, uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and um, if you want to watch the video portion of it, YouTube has the full um, reel, so you can check it out in those
1: three spots.
0: We'll do that as well. Steve, thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate it. Dave, thanks so much. Any final thoughts?
1: No, just make sure our fans, 50,000 plus, uh, you helped us get on iHeart. Help us. We got a cup of coffee in the bigs now. Help us stay there. Make sure you give Joe five stars today. Write some nice comments on there. And please make sure we support Steve with the the new podcast venture. Uh, I'm excited to listen to it, too. I appreciate it, Steve. All
2: right, guys. Um, Thank you so much for having me on.
0: All right, good. Steve, hold on a second because we got to, you know, as we log off, we got to sync you up. But again, again, thanks to our audience of 50 plus thousand and and we're growing. This is a fun thing we're doing. We're really kind of bringing these real voices. And Steve C. is certainly one of them. Dave, thanks again. Great show. Uh, Audience, thanks for tuning in. Check out all our programming here on Real Voices of the Game. I am Joe Frasero, man on second, and we are out of here.